Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. What's going on, Nuggets fans? Welcome to another episode of Full Court Press, brought to you by the Denver Stiffs Podcast Channel, part of the new SB Nation Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Vogt. Uh, last week, I chatted with my boss, Adam Marez. We did an exit interview of sorts. If you missed that episode, go and check it out now on the Denver Stiffs Podcast feed. This week, I sat down with a new friend and a new colleague, the latest addition to the Denver Nuggets Media ecosystem, if you will. It's Mike Singer, who just completed his first season covering the Nuggets beat for the Denver Post. Uh, So as I joked with him earlier, he's done now. He has filled his quota. He can leave. Um, But Mike does actually hope to be back, which will be nice for the rest of us to have some continuity with the Post coverage. Singer did a great job this year. This is new for him. He he comes from a different background. He, He wasn't always gunning to be covering a team on a beat as the lead writer. But here he is, and he's embracing the challenge, and he's done an excellent job with it. So it's been awesome having Mike around. I've enjoyed getting to know him. And we had a little chat about basically accepting the challenges, embracing the challenges of transitioning from editing someone else's work to creating his own. We talked about the uniqueness of the Nuggets media ecosystem. Of course, there's a lot of bloggers, a lot of young people there. Uh, Not quite the same sort of established pecking order that Mike has seen in other locker rooms. So we talked about all of that as well as his process of voting for all NBA teams this year. It was a cool chat. I had a lot of fun and I'm really glad that Singer's part of this network now. I look forward to his coverage again uh, this summer and next season. So I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Here's Full Court Press with Mike Singer. All right, Mike, your first year in the books, man. Denver, you've completed a year at the Denver Post, so your contractual obligation is fulfilled. You can go now if you'd like. Oh, because every every other beat writer leaves after a year. That's right. Is that, is that the way this goes? This is the joke I'm making. I get it. We Noted. Wa- we, <laughs> it's just a joke. We want you to stay. No, uh, I, I remember joking with you about this, um, but you know, my first day on the beat, uh, I go and introduce myself to Michael Malone. Malone goes, you'll be gone within the year. So, uh, that was cool. That was yeah, a good introduction. Obviously, it was tongue-in-cheek, and it was, uh, you know, a, a pretty funny introduction. But, um, you know, this year's been unbelievable. Uh, Malone was fantastic to work with. He was cooperative. He was insightful. He was helpful. The rest of the media was extremely cool to work with. Um, I don't know. I, like I said, I feel extremely fortunate to have fallen into this position. Yeah. Uh, you know, barring anything crazy, I plan to be back. <laughs> Good. I was just going to ask you. I was going to try to break it here first. Well, no, we got it here. It'd be nice to have some continuity. Right, right, right. How did this season sort of measure up to what you expected coming in? Did you did you think you were coming in to cover a potentially Western Conference Finals team or of that caliber? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, no, I didn't. Yeah. You know, I had obviously, when I applied uh, last summer, 
Um, I did a lot of legwork. I, I studied the team. I looked into who they were, like roster construction, uh, contract status, uh, you know, how young the team was, what their prospects were. I thought they would be a good team. I didn't necessarily know that they would be the two. I, I mean, I'd be lying if I said I thought that they would be the two seed. I thought that they would be maybe a five to an eight seed. Maybe they'd contend in the first round. Um, but it became quickly apparent that this team was a lot better than a lot of people anticipated. Yeah. Um, you know, the nine and one start, uh, the, they were flirting with the one seed throughout the entire season. Uh, I don't know if that was, you know, whether they realistically were going to attain that and, and surpass Golden State. I don't think so, but just like I said, I feel, I got very lucky with how the season worked out, how the team worked out with how the outlet worked out. Uh, you know, I just feel very fortunate. When you cover it the way you do as a newspaper writer, a real journalist, it's probably a lot of fun. You're a real journalist too. I don't know what that is. It's an important distinction, I think. Okay. But it's, it's, I'm sure, a lot of fun because there's more to sink your teeth into. People actually care. But the way we sort of do things like at Denver Stiffs for Mm -hmm. juxtaposition's sake is a little different. It's more of being a part of the community. We wear our fandom on our sleeves. Mm -hmm. So we felt emotionally connected to this season. Mm Mm-hmm. Were you able to enjoy this to have fun? Because I know you're not actually a Nuggets fan and you're coming here trying to cover the team. Right, right, right. How much did you let yourself get into this experience? Uh, I very much embraced it. Love I it. mean, I didn't have a choice. You have to, in order to connect with people, you have to understand the context. You have to understand the history. You have to know uh, Malone's history. You have to know Jokic's history. You have to know how Jamal Murray treats people and how he works with the media. So there was a lot I had to learn and frankly, it would be disingenuous if you didn't embrace that and sort of learn the context and know that this team hadn't won a postseason series in a decade. Know, you know, how far they had gone, that they've never reached a finals and that that this was sort of the precipice of what they could be doing for the next five years. Uh, was just a crazy opportunity that I came in with the timing. I mean, some of the Nuggets PR staff joked like, oh, you're a lucky charm. And like, I don't know about that. But, uh, you know, a lot of people who were here in their first year, they were trying to take credit for it. Yeah. It had nothing to do with us. No. No. I'm going to keep trying, though. Oh, you should take credit. Yeah. yeah. You hunch, all yeah. your tweets, 100% should. Clearly it was me. Right. Um, no, but like I said, this was just like – I hadn't paid a ton of attention to the Nuggets beforehand, before this past summer. So you're from Philadelphia, right? No. Or no, Cleveland. Cleveland. I always think Philly. You used to work in Philly? No. Is that right? No, no, no. It's okay. Just pulling stuff out of No, my you're house. all good. You're all good. So my trajectory, I'm from Cleveland, so I was sort of groomed on the, on the LeBron years. I paid close attention to the Cavs, not from a media perspective, but when I was growing up, like I was in... Just before I was in high school, when the Cavs got LeBron in 2003, yeah. So that sort of just reignited uh, basketball love. Um, obviously, made everybody pay close attention to LeBron and what the Cavs were going to do. And then uh, I went to UW Madison, studied journalism. Um, then went to work for CBS Sports. I was covering Marquette basketball. Okay. Then after CBS Sports, I went to USA Today, and I was our NBA editor for about a year and a half, two years. Worked on the NBA desk there. I worked with Sam Amick and Jeff Zilgit. So those are my guys. Nice name drops there. Oh, I, will name drop, at, uh, I will name drop the hell out of them. Do it. You should. I met <laughs> Sam in Portland. He's a nice guy. Yeah, he, he's, he's a rock a really star. Nice he's a rock star. And so, you know, to 
have everything come full circle. It was totally crazy for games three and game four in Portland when I walk into the media room and it says Mike Singer, Denver Post. It says Sam Amick, The Athletic. Right. And we're like, holy crap. A year full ago, circle, huh? a year ago, I was Sam's editor. I talked to Sam five times a day last year throughout the playoffs. We talked for 45 straight days. We talked incessantly. Right. And now we're just two different outlets, two different positions, uh, you know, covering the same series. It was a complete about face. It was an unbelievable, like, pinch me moment that probably two people cared about, right, me right. and Sam. Right, yeah. Um, but, you know, so that's sort of my trajectory. Um, I, I was living in Chicago, working for USA Today. So Chicago, that must be what I'm thinking. It's all good. I was, I was working in Chicago. for. I lived there for six years, was covering the NBA, and uh, w- was lightly affiliated with the Bulls. I was working for CSN Chicago at some point. Um, so Bulls, Cavs, you know, the LeBron years, the Derrick Rose years, uh, th- that was sort of my trajectory. And then when this position <coughs> became available – uh, I don't think a lot of people know this, but actually Gina Mizell, yep. who was the beat writer last year, she actually helped me get this job because she was good friends with someone at USA Today. And um, so I got in touch with my friend who put me in touch with Gina, and then Gina put in a good word with the people I work with at, now with the Denver Post. So I have Gina to thank. I have, um, you know, obviously Sam and Jeff. I just have a ton of people who, who sort of paved the the opportunity that I got this year. And so, you know, this is not just, you know. So was the transition to writing as opposed to editing or managing, was that always the goal for you? Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say that was always the goal, but like for the past two or three years, I was always coordinating and sort of directing our NBA coverage and like, you know, this is how we should approach something, and this is how we're going to sell something in a headline, and this is how we're going to tweet it, and this is the language that we're going to use. This is the, the, the language we're going to use when we break news. That was not me breaking news. That was Sam and Jeff right. breaking <laughs> news. But um, so, and I always had a bunch of ideas about how I would approach it if I was ever, you know, if that was ever my responsibility. And stuff at USA Today uh, just got somewhat difficult in various capacities, and so you know, I was looking for opportunities and, but becoming a beat writer yourself, right. is that, was that to any extent a surprising development or something you may not have it's, foreseen? It's a good question. It was a challenge that I really wanted to do. Okay. So, you know, I, I, I was completely invested in the NBA for the past three years. I have, you know, fortunate enough to travel some and get to meet some of the acquaintances that Sam and Jeff have. And I would always tag along and, you know, made some good friends there, made some good connections and networked there. Um, but, you know, I was always sort of on the outside looking in. And then when this opportunity presented itself, it was sort of, you know, something that I, I, I knew that I could do, but I hadn't yet done. Because when I was covering the Bulls in, I think it was 2014 and 15, um, I, I was sort of there, but I wasn't there. I would record, you know, you you know, it's always a matter of how much do you engage when, when the interviews come for, with the coach, with the players, whatever. And I was sort of on the outside ring. Like right. I didn't do a ton there. And so, but, and you're ostensibly covering the team. And I think that that's a little bit bogus. So the phrase that I like to use is make a dent. Yeah. Like, did you make a dent on this season? And in the 2014, 2015 season covering the Bulls, I didn't feel like I made a significant dent. I, I did what I did. I covered the team, you know, in as much as you want to stretch that definition. Right. Uh, you know, but I tried to carry myself professionally. I, I watched people like Casey Johnson, Chicago Tribune, um, uh, Joe Varden, who was at the Cleveland.com, Brian Windhurst. I'm good friends with those guys. And like, th- those are sort of the dudes you look up to and like, 
you want to emulate how those people carry themselves. So that was sort of, I remember like the first week of the season, you go, Mike, do you always wear suits? And I was like, man, I think that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's what you're supposed to do. So I always just sort of tried to hold myself to, you know, a high standard. And then, uh, like I said, once this opportunity became available, it was, it was sink or swim. Like jump in. I moved here a week before the season started, um, tried to make connections, tried to, uh, you know, sort of sell myself and sell what I was capable of doing and just try to approach things intelligently and do your prep work, do your research and, you know, and it becomes, you talk to people all around and it's just like show up every day, uh, you know, ask intelligent questions, be available, be cordial, have conversations and and build from there. And that was sort of my approach and that's sort of how I've taken it. I was going to ask, do you feel like you made a dent this year in the Nuggets coverage? I hope so. I would say you do. I, I, I hope so. That would be, uh, you know. But that that's, you know, more so than if you did or if you didn't. How do you feel when you go to bed at night after that season? Do you right. think, okay, that was that was what I wanted to do? Listen, I don't know if we're allowed to swear on this podcast. It, I busted my ass this year. I tried very hard because I came from the outside. A lot of people didn't really, you know, for good reason, have any idea who I was right. or where I was coming from. Right. And again, that's totally fine. So I felt like I had to A, prove to myself that I was able to do it, B, prove to anybody else who who was curious about this position. Like you obviously said, there's a lot of turnover in this position. I want to make a mark and I would like to stay here. And I want to uh, put my stamp uh, on the Nuggets season and sort of peel back the curtains for people who are interested. And obviously the interest is at an all-time high right now. Yeah, it um, really is. You know, given what they accomplished this year. So if I can play a role in facilitating and in telling new stories and showing um, new perspectives on the Nuggets, then then I want to do that. I feel like I, you know, I feel like I did. I, I really do. I would say you did. And and it's it's cool because as you just alluded to, this is a real moment in Nuggets history. I mean, there are eyeballs. And what I was going to ask you when I thought you were from Philly 10 minutes ago. That's cool. <laughs> growing up on both coasts, um, but even just from a, a more major Midwestern city like Chicago, I really, having come here now, I have perspective on how invisible the Nuggets are. I mean, they are not discussed. They are not watched Um Sometimes locally, but definitely not nationally. I don't know if you get that. No, so. I mean, so that was readily apparent to me. You know, yeah. as our national NBA editor at USA Today, um, the Nuggets were were often not a huge focus. They were right. not a big emphasis. Uh, Nikola Jokic, uh, as fantastic as he was, and I obviously knew about him for the past couple of years, but he, the way I've described him to people on a national level is he is an acquired taste. Mm. People need to understand like, like how big of an impact he has uh, in all facets of the game. And you don't necessarily see that because, and I think Malone has used this example too, he doesn't show up on the dunks. He's not on the top 10 highlights. He, you know, he's, I guess he does lead fast breaks, but they're kind of in slow motion. <laughs> yeah. uh, but like his passing is, it, I mean, it's transcendent. It's yep. unbelievable. So you see that on a nightly basis, you can't help but appreciate it. Right. So, you know, if that takes, you know, on a national level, people paying more attention and watching them on a nightly basis and seeing what Jokic does and the impact it is, maybe that's the route for them to get more attention. Right. Uh, and obviously that's what the postseason, I think, did. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And he just, we're sitting here now, he was just named all NBA first team, which is not insignificant for a Denver Nugget, man. No, it's crazy. And, you know, I tweeted it. I, I did vote for him first team all NBA. Another flex. I was, uh, <laughs> I was very curious whether... Uh, it was either going to be him or Joel Embiid for first team All NBA, 
and if it was Joel Embiid, I was very curious how many media members were going to be upset with themselves and wish they could revise their pick after what Nicole Jokic did, did the, this past mm, postseason. That's an interesting and, take. And, and, you know, was it, there it, a deciding factor for you? Obviously, you get to see Jokic night in, night out, night out. I know some voters cited games played, availability, durability. Was there anything that jumped out for you? Uh, for me, it was the fact that I thought the Philadelphia 76ers had a lot more help around Joel Embiid than Nikola Jokic did. I mean, you know, I think Jamal Murray's a player. I think Gary Harris uh, had a down year, but when he's on, he's very good. Yep. Uh, Paul Millsap was a huge asset this year, too. So, but he didn't have Jimmy Butler. He didn't have Ben Simmons. He didn't have Tobias Harris, you know, spacing the floor for him. And yes, Joel Embiid is a better defender than Nikola Jokic, despite somebody giving Nikola Jokic a second team all NBA. <laughs> Huge shouts to that person. All defensive <laughs> vote. Um, but I just thought that his offensive impact wasn't even close yeah. to uh, what Joel Embiid brought to the table. And seeing it on a nightly basis, uh, you know, like I said, you can't help but just you're privy to it. You're privy to the impact that he has, and you just see how. Almost, I mean, I know that it's not effortless, but it looks effortless. How he how he plays, he, he it doesn't look like he's working that hard, save for the sixty five minute game in the playoffs. Right, I right. don't know how much he swept this year. Yeah, no, it's true. How so? That process you had a you had a vote for all NBA this year, and mm-hmm. we're at this point now where there are financial implications there. Right? Did you um, agonize over this? Did you just decide to to, to not? kind of think about it too much how did you approach no i knew that there were big financial implications obviously you're talking about um whether teams can offer players supermax deals I yes think kemba walker uh clay thompson bradley beal those guys were significantly impacted um for me i was aware i made sure i did my research and then i tried to compartmentalize like i understood the implications but the implications then made me say well this because there are such significant implications you have to do the research so I did a lot of legwork. I, I mean, I, you know who's the king of legwork is Matt Moore. Yeah, no kidding. And I think I actually, I, I might have called up Matt Moore and debated some stuff with him. But I felt like, you know, as long as you had a vote, you had to, you had to do the due diligence. Yeah. And so I did a lot of research, and I felt comfortable. Uh, I think third team, I ultimately went with Bradley Beal. Um, and, and it went ended up being we just announced or they just announced today Kemba Walker got that pick or got the the nod, uh, but fourteen to fifteen I got right I'll take it yeah I don't feel too badly about it like was that was that Kemba Beal pick the hardest for you yeah yeah it came down to third team guard mm. and so that that was sort of the debate was it Kemba Beal or Thompson. Um, I don't know. You look at the numbers, you could, you could probably justify a lot of them. Right. But I just, I, I went with Beal and, you know, like I said, given that this is my first year with this, um, with the vote and with the responsibility, I, I was adamant about putting in a ton of work, uh, to justify it. Yeah. And so that was what I did. I want to take us back a bit to the conversation we were just having. You finally transitioning, getting here. Mm-hmm. Now you're on the beat. Um, did anything surprise you right off the bat? I think you know the answer. I do. Uh, I, first day I get here, um, I'm like talking with all the media members, and I, you know, I'm just sort of introducing myself. I remember standing in sort of the hallway, just in almost in a circle, like a semicircle, and I felt like I was playing pepper. Yeah. Like everyone was just like, "What's up with this? What's up with this? Where'd you come from?" And I'm like giving my, you know, backstory, my life history, my philosophies. Just kidding. <laughs> um, and 
<laughs> I remember being like a little bit struck by how uh, the, the average age of the Nuggets media was pretty young. Yeah. And that um, I remember that being just a little bit eye-opening because in Cleveland, there was like a defined pecking order. In Chicago, there was a defined pecking order. And these guys are long – and the pecking order, the people sitting atop it were long-tenured guys at newspapers because there's not a ton of turnover right. at, at those jobs. I mean, Casey Johnson's been there for 20-some-odd years. Right. And he runs the scrums. He he asks the questions. He asks the most pertinent questions. He get he generates the best answers. He has the most goodwill uh, amongst the players and the coaches. And like the fact that you know, I, I mean, not to disparage anybody, I had no idea what any sort of yeah. hierarchy yeah. was. The closest guy we would have, I think, to that established guy would have been Nick, but he was coming back, having right. been off the beat for a bit. Right. So yeah, I I remember being surprised myself Mm -hmm. I thought for sure I'd be the youngest dude when I walked in on my first day right and I wasn't even close no it's unbelievable and so it's interesting because I feel like so not only is the Nuggets media contingent very young but so the Nuggets team is very young and they're going into this and sort of um you know on the verge of something significant the the Nuggets PR staff is young that's right they're new yeah everybody is is sort of doing this together. And I don't want to say learning on the fly, but everybody is sort of... That seems right to me. I I don't know if it's fair, though, because, I mean, certainly the postseason run and, you know, how those press conferences went and how the setup was and was there a concern, you know, that it was going to go smoothly. And it did. The Nuggets hadn't been in the playoffs in six years. And, you know, everything ran as smoothly as it could be. And so I think that there's... Everyone's sort of learning together and, and establishing like here's a proper protocol here's how we should go about this yeah um and, and so i would say that's what struck me initially but that's not to say like the people who were here they all did good work and i learned that very quickly yeah um you know no I, it's not offensive i mean i, I asked for a reason because i i always anticipate i mean if i were nick or you looking yeah. around sort of i don't know i wouldn't say like bitterness or anything like that but there is a pay your dues thing here and there's a pecking order in most locker rooms and i would describe as you were saying the whole nuggets organization right now as malleable yeah impressionable uh-huh. and so there's less established blueprints right for how things are done and right. more of like you said from players to coaches to media we're kind of not figuring it out on the fly but we're learning something new every day a hundred percent and like you know one of my favorite things about this season was was learning how to go about the day-to-day protocol and it became a thing and i was just talking to some colleagues at denver post about this it became a thing where half the battle is you see the team you see malone you see the players so often especially when you're on the road and you're you're road weary you're tired you're away from your family that half the battle is just not grading on people Mm. like Mm. you you know you have to obviously some of the questions are going to uh, they're, they're going to overlap. You're going to tread the same territory, but you need to approach it maybe from a new angle. Ask it in a different way. Right. Think of different ways to keep it fresh. Like that's when you're going to get your best answers, anyways. Is when you take somebody uh, aback, when, when you sort of surprise them with where you're coming from. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to just retreading same old tropes. Right. And that doesn't do anybody any good, and it probably irritates people. Yeah, definitely. So is. part of my thinking was I always tried to do some legwork beforehand. I always tried to figure out a new topic or a new angle or some new thing that hadn't been discussed in a couple of weeks. And that was part of my goal. And the same thing applied for the players. Like 
you can't lean on the same player over and over and over again. There was one time, I think in the postseason, where I, I think we might have been in San Antonio, and I saw Paul Millsap, and it was right at a shoot-around, and Millsap looks at me, he was like, you need me again? And I was like, no, man, I'm good. Yeah, like, yeah. just keep it moving. Other yeah. people need to talk to you. Like, yeah. I'm good. Yeah. So you just sort of have to be careful with how much you lean on various people throughout the organization, players, coaches, PR staff, everybody. I was always worried last season that collectively we were ringing Will Barton a little too tight. He's just the preacher, man, and he gives you great quotes. Last year he was in a different headspace too, and it just seemed like every night it was a gaggle of us waiting for him for the late shower. And after, like, I got the same sense you did. Like, after a while, if I was Barton, this would bother me. A hundred percent. And let's not, you know, we can talk about the team, but... Will Barton had a really tough year, yes, and he yet did. he was very uh, accountable. He, he he was always willing to talk and always willing to shed light on, uh, be it a struggle or be it some internal thing with the Nuggets. He would always allude to it, and you know you could always count on him for being real. Yeah, yep. I mean the preacher uh, metaphor is a great is a great uh, comparison. So. But I think we do need to be cognizant of the fact that, like, you know, these dudes probably don't want to talk to us every single day. Mm. And so you have to just try to come at it professionally. And if you can give guys days off, we should do it collectively. I agree, yeah. Like, you can't wear out Nikola Jokic. I've heard other beat writers. I heard, you know, the Milwaukee Bucks beat writer, Matt Velasquez, the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, he's he's careful not to wear out Giannis. Yeah. Because you, you keep going to that bag and uh, eventually – he doesn't want to talk to you anymore. And you're not going to get any insight. You just have to be cognizant of it. So, you know, back to Barton, he had a really tough year, um, but I give him a lot of credit for how he handled both the postseason benching, um, the booze at home. Yeah. I mean, we, we, you were there. The, the, uh, the exit interview with Will Barton was a little bit somber. It was transparent that it, way. It was, yeah. it was, you know, he had a tough year and going into next season. I can't even tell you who their starting three is. Right. I have no idea. Right. It's either him or Tory Craig. But you're right. That accountability is a great word for him. He always seems to be there. He'll, he's always willing to respond and, and be honest. It's funny. You, when you cover a team, you get a sense. You obviously don't ever want to pretend, you know, these guys well, right. but you do get a sense of certain things that you don't at home. And some of the sort of like scapegoat stuff that gets ascribed to Will, like selfishness or whatever. It's like, this is among the most respected guys in the locker room. Mm-hmm. This is like the least selfish guy I've ever met. Accountability and responsibility are important to him. And it's just funny how you don't get a sense from that sitting on your couch. No, you don't. Will Will wears his emotions on his sleeve. He owns his mistakes. He, in the postseason... When he was benched, you and people were saying, "Is your confidence shot?" He goes, "No, man, it's three games. Yeah, uh, like I'm not shook. Like you might think it is. It's a cool narrative, but yeah. I'm not." And like he was adamant about that, and he had some good games uh, toward the back end he of did. the San Antonio series. Yeah. So, and I think he hit some huge shots in the four overtime game too. He did. So, I mean, he. he he's just in a tough position. I mean, and not to mention, <clears throat> we didn't even mention his surgery that you know. He missed half the season, so he's playing catch-up. He's trying to jump onto a team that's moving 50 miles an hour once he gets back in January, and that's a tough thing to do. Does he just reassert himself in the starting lineup of an offense that's been humming? Right. That's not, you know, he acknowledged he had a tough year physically, mentally, all of that, but, I mean, Will's a pro. There's no, and he said at the at his, at his end-of-the-year press conference, he goes, I know what I signed up for. I'm yeah. a professional basketball player. Love that. This comes with it. Yeah, it's part of it. Uh, I expect him to, I don't know where he'll be physically or whatever next year, but just mentally, I, I do expect him to come back and be ready to go. 
Uh, you were talking earlier about all these sort of goals or, or, or things you set for yourself coming here, establishing relationships, all of that. Did anything stand out as particularly challenging to you that you hoped to do? Hmm. Was there maybe a relationship you couldn't build or, or was access what you wanted? Or No, the access was good. I mean, you know, we're still, I'm still working on an interview with uh, Josh Kroenke. That would be great. Ooh. I'm, uh, I'm trying. I don't know if it's going to happen. Yeah. We'll see. Uh, obviously, you know, aim high. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, we went through the, the Tim saga this past weekend. Uh, Tim has been, uh, that's another thing that surprised me. I've never seen a front office so accessible before. It's unbelievable. So, I mean, to, to, to pull the curtain back, Tim Connolly will, will talk to anybody and, and he will give insight and he's accessible. He's friendly. He's fun to, to hang out with and talk to. Um, obviously, the Nuggets president of basketball operations and most organizations are not set up like this. Most are buttoned up and unwilling to shed any light. Yeah. Um, I, I have a pretty good relationship with Arturis as well. Yeah, he's um, great, and, and he's fun to sort of just joke with when you catch him in the in the right mindset. Uh, you know, in a light in a light moment, Calvin's great. Um, you know, I was just really proud of. Uh, I think the relationship that I eventually developed with Malone. Um, mm. You know, uh, I learned very early on that he, he he does pay attention to what's in the newspaper. He does. Um, yep. I got a quick funny story about that. My first week. <laughs> Um, I had written, it was a preview of the Phoenix game and whatever I had written about it, the headline did not necessarily match what the article said. And the headline said something to the effect of nuggets expect to win home opener against the Suns." And I heard that Malone wasn't thrilled with this because that essentially is bulletin board material. For, for the Suns. For the Suns. Yeah. And, 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 you know, he does not want to give any sort of extra motivation to anybody. And, you know, same thing happened um, in the in the playoffs. The Nuggets were up 3-2 on the Spurs. And when I wrote that story, you know, on deadline, I have about a minute to file. Uh, I used the word commanding. I said that the Nuggets have a commanding 3-2 lead. Later on... Uh, a day or two later, Malone referenced it and goes, somebody, you know, I'm, he didn't say who. He goes, a commanding 3-2 lead. I don't know what a commanding 3-2 lead is. We're up one game, and obviously he was right. It went to game right. seven, and the Nuggets hung on by the skin of their teeth. So it, it's just, a, a, a you know, cool that, A, he pays attention, and, and B, that he, he values, you know, what is being said about his team. He considers that real influence. It matters to him. Yes. E- even the, so I know he reads the papers, <laughs> but it's funny, even the, some of the blogger stuff, like, for a guy who's never on Twitter, he seems to be super aware of the narratives that oh, are he's flying aware. around. He's aware. He's aware. It's funny to me, man. He's aware. I give him a lot of credit. He, uh, you know, he's aware, but he, if, 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 usually if there's something he doesn't like, you rarely hear about it, so I don't necessarily know if I've upset him right, various right. times throughout the season. Uh, but again, it, it, it becomes that day-to-day thing where you talk to somebody three times a day, how can how can you ensure that this doesn't get stale? And I worked hard at trying to make sure that it didn't get stale, or else he'll tune you out. Yeah. And, you know, I'm pretty proud of the fact that I have you know what I think is a good working relationship with him, with almost every one of the players. Yeah. Um, and, and the front office as well. And, and I guess I'll shout out Nick. I, I kind of like 
traveling the country with him. <laughs> Pretty cool, man. Kind of. He's all right. <laughs> yeah, he's all right. He's a busy man these days. Have you you've seen the kid, right? I have. Cam Daddy? Cam Dad or Cam Diesel. These are your nicknames, right? These are my nicknames. I love it. I'm yes. with it. Yes. Um, what are you, I think I know the answer, what are you most proud of this season? Um, well, I'm, It can be a piece. It I'm going to yeah. flip it. What do you think? What do you think? You said I your, think I know your the first cover story, right? In the yeah. paper, yeah. I, I'm very proud of that one. the the idea, It was a story about how the Nuggets um, found. Uh, it wasn't necessarily how they found Nikola Jokic, but in 2014, when he was at the Nike Hoop Summit in Portland, um, he was he killed it. Yeah, he, I mean he he toasted Clint Capella. He toasted um, who else was in that draft? Carl Anthony Towns was there, and he. I mean, and that's in front of like dozens of NBA power brokers and executives. And for whatever reason, maybe they were scared by his body. Maybe they were scared because, you know, relative lack of competition, uh, you know, in the Adriatic league, uh, he dropped and the nuggets pounced on it and the nuggets found a gem. And you talk to some of the nuggets front office and they'll tell you they got lucky with it. Right. They, they won't say, Oh yeah, we had the foresight. If they really had the foresight, they wouldn't have taken with the 41st. Pick. Right. They would have right. taken with the first round. Right. So, um, you know, just, uh, again, it comes down to the context thing. When you come in and you and you don't and you haven't been here for three years, this is Jokic's fourth year. You don't know the stories that have been told about him, and if you can uh, pull back uh, pull back the curtain from a new angle that hasn't been told, that's something I think to be proud of. If you can shed light on you know the franchise's best player uh, from a new perspective and sort of tell a new story in regards to um, Jokic. I think that that's a win, and I think that's what anybody you know in our media market would strive to do is yeah. just sort of unveil um, a, a new story. Read your name in print. That was crazy too. Kind of cool, right? It was. Um, it's unbelievable. It's a texter mom moment. Come yeah, on. yeah. No, I I bought a few copies. Yeah, I bought yeah. a few copies, but I haven't done anything with them. They're like sitting in my apartment right, somewhere. Right. <laughs> um, my mom said she wanted one. I don't know if she ever got one, but. What is uh? What's your plan for the off season? How much are you going to pull back, stay in, try right. to build a holistic life? However you can. I don't know what a holistic life means. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I'm working on something right now. Uh, on Sunday, I should have something about Michael Porter Jr. Uh, just going into summer league. That'll be pretty cool. Um, I'm also working on a big project that I don't want to tip my hat, but. Uh, again, it pertains to Michael Porter Jr. Okay. And so I'm pretty excited about that. Um, got a couple stories in the bank, and obviously we're going to see um, what uh, Summer League holds. I'm going to be out there in Vegas. Um, you know, the Nuggets are beyond excited uh, about Michael Porter Jr. They think he has you know, exceptional talent. Almost as excited as Michael Porter Jr. is about Michael Porter Jr. Oh, yeah. Michael Porter Jr. loves him as Michael Porter yes, Jr. Yes, he does. As three different uh, Nuggets players told us uh, <laughs> at their exit interviews. I heard swag, sauce, special so- special sauce. Talks a lot. Yeah, he <laughs> talk- a lot of them say he talks a lot. So uh, everyone's excited to see what you know he brings to the table. Um, he is a guy that could conceivably elevate their ceiling. Yeah. I, I mean, people talk about what do the Nuggets need in the offseason? Should they go Big get a win? Do yeah. they need to do the Anthony Davis trade? Do they even need to throw their hat in the ring? Like, I, I, m- me personally, I think that with this particular core, I think that you should see this through and at least let Porter Jr. develop for a year and yeah, see and what see you what, have in yeah. him. Um, because I'm not sure that they need huge 
acquisitions to really make a run at conference finals yeah. and potentially a finals run. Especially if if we can safely say, all right, for Gary and Will, it was injury stuff, rhythm. Right. Jamal maybe does make that big, big leap, right. not an incremental one. It's right. really on the table. So it does feel like it would be silly not to spend another year collecting data points. But yeah. But I get but I also I say silly, but the pressure of like you have a top eight guy in Jokic and these windows close quickly. So if you have a chance to pair him with an elite guy, you do it. Maybe, maybe like, you know, I, I get everyone gets excited about the Anthony Davis deal, or, <laughs> you know, a potential pairing there. But like, I, I just think in my opinion, the risk outweighs the reward. I get that you'd have one year, but we've, you know, Nikola Jokic was already next to Yusef Nurkic as the four five. And that didn't really work. Yeah. You obviously had a trade Nurk. So, uh, are you just going to go all in on doing that exact same thing again and pray that it works and pray that he stays in Denver right, and right. hope that whoever your trade pieces are, you know, don't turn into all stars. Right. Yeah. Like it, it just seems like it would too, be brutal to trade Murray away and watch him. go. I mean, it would. I, and I think Jamal Murray has all-star potential. Oh yeah. Like no I doubt. don't, and I don't even know that it's up for debate. Like he, he's a hell of a player at 22 Yeah, and, and let's just, like keep pounding that in. He's 22. And, uh, I think basically the whole NBA world saw the foundational pieces that the Nuggets have in Jokic and Murray. And those two just killed it throughout the postseason. Like, I don't know if you're a free, I mean, we're talking about free agents. Like if you're a free agent, I don't know how that's not enticing. I know, especially when you can do it in a way in which like you could come here, be the leading scorer, get the media attention. Cause Jokic doesn't want it. He doesn't care. He doesn't give a shit. No. So it, it does. I know. And I liked what Tim said. I mean, it was cool to have that sort of on the table and, and, and on record. If, if you say it's about winning, right. but you don't want to talk to us, then I don't, I think it's a disingenuous answer. Yeah. I mean, like Anthony Davis says his, his trade request is about winning. Uh, and yet on his list are the New York Knicks and the Los Angeles Lakers. Right. So, uh, you know, I guess that might be construed as disingenuous. We will see. The summer of MPJ is on deck. Uh, Mike, thanks, man. Thanks for a, a solid year of great coverage, dude. Thanks for coming in and just seamlessly sliding into the group. Nah, You're a good I don't hang. Know, man. You know? I don't know. I hope so. I, I hope so. I tried. And again, I really appreciated everybody. I appreciated you guys. I appreciated, like I said, Nick, Harrison, TJ, all those dudes were great. Um, you know, even the people who work for the Nuggets, Dempsey, Katie, they were oh, yeah. they were great. fun to work it's with. A great community. Um, you know, and I've had just some awesome conversations with Dempsey, who used to cover the team for the Denver Post. And you know, it's just cool to. to I, I I like picking people's brains. Yeah. I like hearing their thoughts, and especially I don't ever want to come into a situation where I assume I know anything. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So that was sort of my approach, and you know, like I started out with, I feel very very lucky. Hey, man, it won't be too long until people are picking your brain, brother. So uh, we hope to see you back next year, and thanks for coming on, dude. Yep. 